You're listening to Tahlequah United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to the podcast and connect with us online at TahlequahUMC.org. May you be blessed by the hearing and reading of Scripture and the meditation on the Word. Have a good day. So, I don't know if you all noticed the um, looks on the, on the choir, the singers, but I sprung that on Ramona as literally they started to prepare to sing um, their special music. So I'm texting Ramona, hey, can we sing this, the doxology? And she said, yeah, what page? And so I we got it. She goes, okay. And so I look at the, the singers and I see Bob go, and I see Robert looking over at the, uh, at the piano and like, <laughs> look at Ramona like, what is she doing? And so thank you, Ramona. Thank you very much. Will you pray with me? Most heavenly loving God, here I am. Here we are. God, may the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, give you the honor and you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my reading this morning comes from the the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Hear these words. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, Whoever comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, spouse and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life, cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If one of you wanted to build a tower, wouldn't you first sit down and calculate the cost? to determine whether you have enough money to complete it. Otherwise, when you have laid the foundation but couldn't finish the tower, all who see it will begin to belittle you. They will say, here's the person who would go to war. Here's the person who began construction and couldn't complete it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down to consider whether his 10,000 soldiers could go up against the 20,000 coming against him? And if he didn't think he could win, he would send a representative to discuss terms of peace while his enemy was still a long way off. In the same way, none of you who are unwilling to give up all your possessions can be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will it become salty again? It has no value. Neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, people throw it away. Whoever has ears to hear should pay attention. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week, Pastor Matt and Pastor Zach preached about the bigger table. Today, I want to talk to you about the cost of being at that bigger table. What is that cost? Are you willing to be the Christian we are called to be to pay that cost? For those of us who are United States residents, we are citizens of consumption, experts of material things. We are American consumers more often than we are American voters. Americans are brand identified. Our patterns of consumption define us. Uh, the, you know, and project 
who we really are. Some of us like to project success and others of us like to project social responsibility with what we have purchased. We are PCs or Macs. We are Androids or iPhones. Nike or Adidas. Fair trade or free trade. We are Toyota, Nissan, Ford or Chevy car owners. We are supporting breast cancer research as we buy pink or AIDS research as we buy red. We know how cool we are based on whether we choose Google Chrome, Firefox, Safari, or Explorer. And I can tell you that without a fact because one of my students went over and said, ah, she's using Firefox, that's what's wrong. And we'll walk away. We stick to one preferred airline with Southwest customers proud to feel the love or fly JetBlue with its direct TV at every seat and fancy T5 at JFK. Now, before you think, well, she is judging my every move this morning, I am most definitely, definitely not. I am no different. I have my brand identification down to a science. I know which type of sink faucet I prefer, and I can justify my choice of big box stores that I'm going to go to. I know where I use the mobile phone service I do and the kind of phone I use. I even know which fast food chain I would rather eat at because I know what kind of ketchup they serve and what brand they use. So, by all means, I'm not judging. I buy as well as the next person. I just wonder who it is we are without all of our stuff. The question raised first by the passage from this gospel that I read this morning of Luke is, who are these people without their families? The Gospel of Luke passage we heard gives a series of renunciations. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. The first two are renunciation of family and of life. The third is a renunciation of possessions. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. My favorite aspect of the Gospel of Luke include remarkable inclusion of women as agents. And the fact that this portrayal of Jesus is of a guy who enjoys his food and drink, I can identify with that Jesus. Another characteristic of this Gospel is the frequent mention of the need to give up or step away from material things. The disciples were told they would need nothing to go on their journeys. This makes me squirm. I need to be prepared. I need to know what to pack. I need to have the best water bottle for the hike. I need to have a very good quality backpack. And oh my goodness, let's talk about the shoes. How do I pack? What shoes am I going to wear? A few that went on trips with me will tell you that sometimes I overpack shoes, but I can't decide on which pair to bring. What I like to think of is that I just can't drop and go. Disciples did. What I like to think of as the most awkward part of this passage is the whole hate thing. Hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sister, sisters. Man, that's awkward. Awkward, awkward. I've always not liked the word hate. 
My daughter, when she was five and six years old, used that word a lot. I had done everything to try to figure out how to get her to quit using that word. And so I said, okay, every time that you use that word, you're going to give me $2. Well, that went on for about a week, but she was then borrowing money from her dad or from her big sister or from this and then that one. And I said, fuck, because I knew that would get into dad's pocket a little bit deeper and he wasn't going to do that. Five bucks every time that you use the word hate. It took about two weeks, but she quit using it. And in fact, one day, a friend of hers came over and used the word hate. And my daughter's eyes got big and she goes, oh, don't say that. Do you have any money on you? She says, no, why? She says, because she's going to make you pay $5. And I'm broke. Hate. It took a while, but she quit saying it. So I've been thinking about the worst case scenario. I mean, I'm thinking about people who, who might hate, who leaving their families and don't speak to them ever again because of bad experiences with abuse or rejection. I'm thinking about people who choose to cut themselves off or are cut off because they have been abandoned or disowned. But before you join me in this thought process, I want to know what this hate thing is really about. I find myself having an intercultural encounter with this text, written in a time where family, tribal affiliation was everything. You have read it in here. Everyone was son of, or you've read it in the Bible. You know, everyone was son of, or, or daughter of, or mother of, or father of. Entire families converted. Entire families. You have, you know, everyone was, was someone. Families provided access. Families provided security, inheritance rights, a way to make a living. One of the most proudest moments in my husband and my almost 30 years of marriage was one time when we were really down and out and having it hard. And he looked right at me and he said, you know what? If we walk out that door right now today and we're holding Angelia's hand and walking down the street, I've got more than most. So it was everything. It's everything. When I think about who in this vast and varied collections of scriptural traditions had no family connections, enabling them to navigate their societies, I think of widows and orphans and, and aliens in a foreign land. All these people were in such desperate, disenfranchised straits because they did not have a family by which they were provided access to the means of survival. They were just left out there. So voluntarily stepping outside of the family structure seems to be putting it blunt, but honest, nuts. Hate is a strong word. I have used this term more than once when I was trying to deter an exaggeration from a student of mine or a family member of mine. Well, that's a strong word you're using. And to continue our intercultural engagement, it may be helpful to know that some scholars say this term translated as hate was not a rejection, but a different understanding of priorities. A different understanding of priorities. To hate one's family was a way of saying that family would not be the primary affiliation or the only choice. The explanation of the word hate made sense to me. 
On more than one occasion, I have been accused that my priorities were not right. And I would think, in whose eyes are they not right with? Or I have different priorities than other people. That would always make me stop and think, well, what are my priorities? And are they aligned with God? Or are they aligned with myself? In the passages leading up to this one, Jesus has been speaking to potential disciples hanging out at the home of prominent Pharisees. Those listening are described by Eugene Boring and Fred Craddock as interested inquirers and admirers. These were not committed disciples. These were the seekers of the day. These are the ones that have heard people talk that Jesus has got it going on. Jesus is healing people, blind people, lame people. Jesus is talking to everyone from, people, from women that are sleeping around and have had tons of husbands. Jesus is feeding lots of people. So everyone was following Jesus. In contemporary evangelism, at least one school of thought, believers, seekers, should not be stuck with the indignity of having to pass the offering plate. Financial support of a church belongs to the members. Here, Jesus is speaking to people who are considering commitment. They're considering it. They've not committed, but they're considering it. And it sounds like he wants them to have a sense of the significance of such a decision. This is a very big deal. This text is hyperbole, but it gets the point across. Discipleship comes first before family, before life, and before your stuff. As Jesus looked over the great crowds following him and listening to him, you would have thought he would have enticed them into discipleship. You would have thought he would have made it easy. You know, that he would have put the bar of discipleship very low. You would have thought he would have said, it is easy being a disciple. Love your wife, love your kids, show up to work on time, be nice to the neighbor next door, go to synagogue. It is easy to be my disciple. This made me think about a, a, a student I had this summer working for me at the, at the Wesley Foundation, and, and I had planned my leadership team, and she said, sure, I'll be on the leadership team. I said, well, we're going to go on a retreat at Camp Egan, and we've got this retreat plan, and I'm so excited about it. And I said, let's start planning and thinking and doing. And, and as I got into it, uh, she said, uh, wait a minute, we're not going to go out there and just, you know, have fun. I said, well, we're going to have some fun. Yes. I said, but we got to do lots of planning for the whole semester. I said, so there's going to be lots of work that we have to do. She goes, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. I'm out. I said, you don't want to go to Camp Egan with us? I said, it's just going to be an overnight, 24 hours. I said, and I said, we're going to have lots of food. I said, and we're going to play some games and get to know you games. I said, and some relationship games. I said, and, and do a whole kind of planning discipleship ministry and mission service. And she said, no, I just thought we were going to have fun. And I was down and I was sad about that for a few days. And one of my other students said, do we really want her? She's not committed. If she just wants to play, it's okay. Let her go. She'll come back. She'll be around. Thinking about the cost. Thinking about the commitment. But Jesus did not want a large number 
of little bit disciples, who had a little bit of prayer, who had a little bit of commitment, who had a little bit of dedication, a little bit of love. Jesus didn't want 120 little bit Christians, but he wanted 12 disciples who were truly committed to prayer, to discipleship, to being ruled by Jesus as their king. And with these 12 dedicated disciples, Jesus would change the world. A small, dedicated amount of people can change the world for good or evil. And Jesus wanted a small number who would transform the world positively. Today, more than a billion people gather to worship Jesus, not because of a little bit. But people who pay the high cost of discipleship and want to be at that bigger table to serve. During the era of World War II, a person by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book. Bonhoeffer wrote a book entitled The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer was a person who tried to assassinate Adolf Hitler and was martyred or killed for that. And in his book, he wrote, True Christians will always be small in number. The true church will always consist of a few. I have this written and put on hanging over my computer desk. These words echo a truth for me in the midst of this cultural push for church growth. At least once or twice a week, I'm told about what's going on about the church across from the high school or the church that's on the, on the four-way. Oh, did you hear about that youth group? Man, did you hear about what they're doing on Trunk or Treat? Wow, the service they had, they've had over 200 in service on a Sunday morning. I heard there was 350 in their service the other night. That's great. I'm very, very happy for them. We can measure church membership, but we can never ever merit we can never ever measure Christian discipleship. People who are truly committed to Jesus Christ and his mission in this world. I have a picture I'm hanging in my office at the Wesley Foundation with a saying from St. Francis that says, Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Are we preaching the gospel all the times? A decision to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to sit, a bigger, to sit at a bigger table requires thinking all the way through the possible consequences of discipleship. Jesus wants to do a cost-benefit analysis and a risk assessment with you. And the Gospel of Luke makes this message sticky by giving examples of what could happen when people don't plan ahead and by using the language of hate. This dramatic language makes a point that discipleship is beyond most experiences. It isn't convenient. It might cost us everything. After all, if loyalty to Jesus comes first, then everything, even the fundamental social structures of family and things, comes second. Jeez, that's hard. That's not easy. The sacrifice of me going to seminary and me being ordained was hard for my family. A few months ago, I had told my husband that I thought, you know, the whole pomp and circumstance of ordination and everything, I wish I could just go ahead and 
let them just have my stole and give me my stole and send me a certificate and me go on. And he said, hey, we have all sacrificed. And I said, really? You have? He goes, yeah. He said, the amount of food I've had to cook, the amount of kids I've had to take care of, the vehicles to keep you running back and forth to Tulsa. He said, all of the stuff that I have had to do, he said, you're walking across there. We're all going to be there and stand for you. He said, this is way more than just you. Absolutely. I smiled and patted his hand and I said, thank you. Thank you. The cost of discipleship. The passage follows these parables that this passage follows these parables that Pastor Matt and, and, and Pastor Zach talked about last week, where Jesus suggests to the host of a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends and your family and your brothers and your sisters and your relatives and your neighbors to a table, but invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame and the blind, following through on inviting those to your bigger table has to be dangerous. It has to. That's the cost of discipleship. A couple of weeks ago, I had the blessing to get to go to Kansas City and see Bob Goff. Pastor Matt looked at me and couldn't believe the way I was so giddy Friday morning because Bob Goff was the speaker. He's a, he's a, he's a very well-known author, uh, Number one best-selling book of Love Does, Everybody Does. His, his latest book is Big Dreams. And he's wrote this devotional, Live in Grace, Walk in Love. And I took my book. I read it every morning. And I took my book, and I had him sign it. And I looked at We were there early Friday morning to make sure I had a good seat. And he's sitting there by me. He goes, hey, Shanna. Pastor Matt said, hey, Shanna. There's Bob Goff. And I looked, and I said, oh, there he is. And she said, he said, are you going to go down to meeting? I said, I'm fighting my book. And I said, oh, why am I so sweaty? I said, I haven't felt like this since I met Michael Jackson when I was 14. I said, I'm so excited. And so, which by the way, I didn't, okay. I didn't really meet him. I got to see him in concert and it was really high up, but I still, it was a big deal for me for Michael Jackson. But anyway, long story short. So he said, he listened to my stories. He listened to me beginning. I told him about me being ordained the following Friday and he smiled and he, he said a prayer with me and he talked to me and he was just so genuine. And he signed this book, dear Shanna, so fun to meet you. Keep loving people the way Jesus did. Mm. And as I sit down and I read that, I'm looking at, it, I thought, man, do I do that every day? Do I do that every day? Hmm. So he told a story about being, about 20 years ago, he went to Uganda for the first time. And after he had met with who he needed to meet, meet with, by the way, he's a, Uganda, he's a Uganda consult now for the United States. But as he was meeting with him and he left, he got into his, into his car and he was waving goodbye Children. There was five or six children, and he continued to wave. And he goes, he got both hands waving. And then there was ten children, and then he looks back and he goes, and then there's twenty children, and and they just keep coming. And he's he's waving faster and he's faster. And the driver driving said, you know, in America, that means hi, or bye. He said in Uganda, it means follow me. My question to you this morning is, are you waving and saying hi to Jesus? 
Are you saying, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll pay the cost. I'll follow you. To pay the cost to sit at that bigger table and follow him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our honor and glory is yours. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tahlequah United Methodist Church's sermon podcast. We hope you have a good week, and we ask that you connect with us online at TahlequahUMC.org. Thank you, and have a good day.